morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. Can you all hear me? Woo, you can hear me. Okay, we're going to get started here because I have a lot of ground to cover. Today we're going to talk about the oil of joy. So that's my title for this chapter. Verses 3 through 10 are known as the Beatitudes, and each verse begins with the word blessed or blessed. Each one springs from the one preceding it. One commentator calls them like a string of pearls that ornament, ornament us. And as you all know, pearls are created by tension and pressure. The word blessed refers to a happy or joyful condition. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 that this oil, what this oil of joy looks like. So, in my family, we have had some pressure. And those of you who have been with us for a while, um, one pressure started seven years ago when my granddaughter became anorexic and was in Children's Hospital, and my husband was in a terrible bike crash all at the same time. But a couple weekends ago, we had, out of all of that tension and pressure, the oil of joy. <laughs> this is our Katie, our oldest granddaughter. And it was such a joyful event, and it was in Bellingham, and so all of the families from this area went up and we stayed there. And on Sunday morning after the wedding, I got down to the breakfast room at 6 in the morning, and I sat there talking to family members until 10, until they closed us down. And two of my most meaningful conversations were with nephews, who are now 50, and I knew them since birth. These two men poured out all the horrible things that were going on in their lives, and one of them in particular is seriously suffering with an autistic child. And it occurred to me that the night before, when we were dancing, we were experiencing for one brief moment in the world a period of the oil of joy. There was a moment when my sister and brother-in-law and this son, this 50-year-old son, who is suffering so terribly, were on the dance floor, and the song came up, warm, touching warm, reaching out, hand, touching hand, and we all reached up our hands, the four of us, and touched, um, singing out, and then we all go, sweet Caroline, and go, ba, 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 and I'm thinking, Lord, I want to savor this moment of joy in the midst of this terrible world. So the oil of joy, it turns out, is a phrase from Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Now, we have heard that Jesus, how he was born. We have heard how he was baptized. We have heard how he went into the wilderness for um, 40 days, 40 nights, and fasted, and then was tested by the devil, by Satan. And then Luke inserts this little story before Jesus goes out and begins his actual ministry. It says, he came to Nazareth, where he had been reared. 
Remember, he was born, they went over to Egypt, they came back, they went up to Nazareth. This is where Mary and Joseph were from. These people knew Jesus, they had watched him grow up. And it says, as he always did on the Sabbath, he went to the meeting place when he stood up to read. He was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. Now, this is a very dramatic moment, and I want you to picture it in your mind, because he is going to scroll to Isaiah 61. It's not like he was in Isaiah 1 or 6, but he keeps going and going very carefully. I'm sure the scroll was very, very, very costly. And he finally gets to 61. This is a pivotal moment of history. So now he's going to read. God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. Sent me to announce pardon to prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and set the burdened and battered free to announce this is God's year to act. Now if I say to you, the hills are alive, what are you going to say? So the people knew the rest of this verse. So he rolls it up, he rolls it up, all 61 chapters, he hands it off, and then he says, this, right now, has come true. History is being made in this place, because he is the one who is going to do this. And then all hell breaks loose. And they try to kill him because they knew he was claiming to be the Messiah. And Jesus walks away. And then he goes out, and crowds start coming to him. Just like Christina said, they came to Macklemore. Crowds and crowds of people coming to Jesus to hear what he had to say. And then Eugene Peterson calls the next group committed followers. Now let's turn to Matthew 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. I just have to check and make sure I turn this on. Did I turn it on? Oh, good. It's been that kind of a morning. Oh, okay. And this is what he said. Okay, then, I love it, that he takes these followers on a hike up a hill to a quiet place. Now, many of us couldn't go on a hike with Jesus. Many of us couldn't go up a hill with Jesus. But everybody can find a quiet place. And this is where he wants to meet you and teach you in a quiet place. Right now, you're all quiet. He's coming here to meet you. So this is a set-apart time for Jesus. And so he speaks, and this is what he said. And what he's going to say is sort of a paraphrase of this Isaiah passage. He's going to talk about the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, darkness, those who mourn and grieve, who are in ashes of mourning and despair. But he is going to say he is bringing good news. He's going to bind them up, proclaim freedom, release Comfort, provide, bestow a crown of beauty, 
the oil of joy, which is where I get my title for this chapter, the garment of praise. So Jesus is going to embody the present tense of all of this. And when he gives us the Beatitudes, they are all in the present tense. But Jesus knows that people are not going to like this because, he says, his kingdom is not of this world. He says it in John 18, 36. So there is going to be some people who don't like what he has to say. When Jesus teaches about the kingdom, he knows it will disrupt world thinking. All right, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, he's going to say, is on earth right here and right now. And he's going to describe eight paradoxes. Human nature wants blessings without, uh, with a shortcut. They don't want blessings with the whole package. And Jesus tells us that his blessing or joy is possible not only in the big things in life, the big suffering, but in petty aggravations of daily dealing with people. This is why they are in the present tense. And all of these blessings involve the deepest place of relationship with God the Father and are only possible through what Jesus did for us on the cross. So Jesus' intention is always for us to enjoy him. And the root of the word blessed or blessed is happy or joy or grace. And it's all there in the word. So I'm going to quote a lot from the message here. And this is what the message says. You're blessed when you're at the end of the rope. With less of you, there is more room of God and his rule. God is always there, loving, and providing, but sometimes to see him, all else must be scraped away. The desperate heart clings to God's goodness or rejects him as cruel. The choice is yours. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, or in the message, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Here we begin to see how each blessing builds on the last. And it's more about losing all about what is dear. But it's always relationship. I love the message here because of the word embrace. This is not a drive-by hug. This is an embrace, a comforting embrace. When a, the person you love hugs you and you can feel their, your heartbeat, that is an embrace. And here is another embrace. Had to put this in here. <laughs> this is not a casual hug. <laughs> They're kissing. This is called the dip kiss. <laughs> uh, I, you won't get any more wedding pictures, I promise. <laughs> All right, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In the message, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. 
So being content means that you are unpretentious, that you are self-controlled, that you're free from malice or vengefulness. Meekness is a way of dealing with others in genuine humility. And to inherit the earth is becoming an owner. The meek will enter and possess the earth here and now. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Or, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. So to hunger and thirst for God is a desire to be filled or full of God. It's the righteousness here is relationship with God in his purity. And that's what we hunger for. And that's what God will fill us with. You have a good appetite for God when you say, I need you. Seven, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Or, you're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, caring for others, you find yourself cared for. So a merciful person forgives others and has compassion for the needy and suffering. A merciful person admits her own sin. This person receives mercy from God. There was a time in my life, about 20 years ago, when one of my closest friends experienced her husband leaving her for a younger, more fit woman. And I went over to her house to get this news from her, and what was she doing? She was ironing his shirts as he was leaving. This made me furious. <laughs> I was ready to do some surgery on him. But anyway, <laughs> about that time, and this was after my mother died, I was experiencing intense physical pain that six doctors couldn't diagnose. But when my pain got its worst, all of a sudden, my anger towards this man disappeared, and I was able to see him and forgive him as my friend was able to see him and forgive him. And it was shortly after that that a new doctor came along who diagnosed me, and I have been well ever since. But 1 Peter 4.1 says, When you suffer, you cease from sin. That's what this is all about, ceasing from sin when you suffer. And I always said, well, if you're really suffering, you don't have time to sin because you're concentrating on living each moment. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You see how this is building? One leads to another and leads to another. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in your outside world. Jesus is pure in heart, and Jesus sees God in his inside world and his outside world, and he wants you to do the same. To see God is to have intimate knowledge and acquaintance with him. Now, I love to see God in the world, even in the rain, in the trees. I mean, it was so gorgeous driving here in the mist, and I just loved it. But what I really love to see is God working through men and women. This is huge, and it's wonderful to be able to see that happening. So 
Then we go to 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And I love the message here. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. So Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. He made peace between us and God the Father so that we can have relationship with him. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. The true child of God will make peace with others. The ability to make peace is for those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger for God, and those who are merciful. Then you are ready to make peace and keep peace and be peace in families, in neighborhoods, where you work. And this is who we are all, all of us here, are created to be, this way, in God's family. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is not self-righteousness. This is because you know God, and you know what he is doing, and you're kind, and you're a peacemaker, and you're comforting people, and other people take offense because you are being like Jesus. Eugene Peterson says, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Now, we do not experience here much persecution, but those first century believers that Jesus is talking to will experience terrible persecution. Many of them may die, um, might be crucified, they might be sent to prison in Rome, they might be eaten by lions, they are going to endure terrible persecution, and he's telling them, this drives you into my kingdom. Jesus suffered. He was persecuted, and it was predicted. Isaiah predicted he would be a suffering servant. And, but Jesus promises joy in the persecution because my kingdom is not of this world. And now the introduction to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is finished, and he's going to go into each thing in more detail. When I set this up last summer, I get five, Kristen gets six, and Christina gets seven. We took a one whole time on each chapter, but we could have spent the whole year on these three chapters. Verse 11. Oh, I wanted to show you here. Nope, I got, where was it? No, okay, never mind. Oops, too far. 12, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is talking about being blessed, being joyful, being uh, enjoying God in the midst of all of this persecution. James, who was Jesus' brother, writes in James 1-2, Consider it all joy when you are tested. The pressure shows your faith. Now Peter, who was the disciple, who on the night that Jesus was betrayed, denied Jesus because he didn't want the persecution, after the resurrection, he and Jesus will make 
up, they're going to be friends again, and Peter's going to go on to write in his letter, 1 Peter 1.6, greatly rejoice in trials because it proves your faith is greater than gold and leads to inexpressible and glorious joy. The message says laughter and singing, and Peter will eventually, tradition tells us, be crucified upside down. But then Jesus says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? So Jesus emphatically says over and over, you, 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 you can put your name in here. Let me tell you, Robin, why Robin, you are here. Robin, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. Robin, don't lose your saltiness. How will people taste me? So put your name in there. This is so emphatic. How, what's the world like without peacemakers? It's bitter. It's tasteless. It's horrible. Nobody wants to live there. Okay. All right, verse 14. And you, you can put your name in, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Last summer, as I was preparing to give this talk, <laughs> or all the talks, I was going through Matthew, and it, every time I sat on this verse, these 14 and through 16, I would just feel such joy, and I thought, oh, Lord, I'm so glad you're telling me that the women at the well are going to be a light, that you're going to put us on a hill, that our light will shine. And, and he said, yes, Robin, that's going to happen. And then one day, I got the art bulletin in the mail. And in the bottom, it said, the Seahawks are looking for adult workers. And gave it, oh, I said, I can do that. So I emailed them. They got right back to me. I went for an interview and they hired me. So I'm working for the Seahawks. And so, so the first thing that I worked was the Beyonce concert. <laughs> yes, it was so interesting. <laughs> and I was there from 2.30 in the afternoon and she finished at midnight. It was long and it was cold, but every person that I met and that I helped smiled and thanked me as they walked up to the top of the 300 level in six inch heels and no clothing on. <laughs> they all looked like they'd come in their negligees, of course, because that was their singers. So, so I thought, okay, God wants me to be a light here. And so I was helping people and, and they were grateful. And it says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bring light. Okay, I read that. God colors, God's not a secret. Uh, I'm going public with this. I'm putting you on a stand. And now that I've put you there on the hilltop, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be open to others. And you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So as they were coming down at midnight, I had a little tiny flashlight. And one young woman fell. And, and, they, and they called me over, and her friends are sitting around here, and we're waiting, and these steps are very steep. So I took that little flashlight, and I shone them on the steps where to walk. 
every person who walked by thanked me. You should see them teetering down these concrete steps from the 300 level in their six inch heels. But I felt like God had called me to be a light there. <laughs> okay. God wants his world to see him. And he wants his world to see him through us. And Jesus reiterates this again when, in John when he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we are to light the way for other people. Now, I'm going to quickly go through the rest of this chapter. First of all, Jesus says that he completes the law. The religious leaders of Jesus' day have confused godliness, uh, righteousness with good works. And being salt and light, he says, fulfills the commandments. The big ten are all repeated in the New Testament for Christians, except for keep the Sabbath, which is expanded on in Hebrews 4. Resting in God is for right now every day, Hebrews 4 tells us. We are to rest in God every day, and that is keeping God's Sabbath. But Jesus says his law is deeper. And he says, don't suppose for a minute I've come to demolish the scriptures. I have come to fulfill them. God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after the stars burn out and the earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. And then he says, don't trivialize it. If you trivialize God's law, you're trivializing, trivializing yourself. Take it seriously, and you will find honor in the kingdom. And then he says, words kill. You're supposed to laugh at this. <laughs> Do not murder is the sixth commandment, Jesus says. But I say, and here he's, he's taking the Ten Commandments to a deeper level. Refrain from hatred, it's murder. Inner thoughts, inner anger, lack of forgiveness, all of these things are as if you were murdering the person. <coughs> I'm telling you, even if you call people names in here, in the message it says, if you call somebody an idiot or stupid, that's the same as murder. Uh, these must be stronger words in the Greek. <laughs> but he says, the simple fact is that words kill. Then he says, forgiveness brings life. This is how I want you to conduct yourself on these matters. If you enter the place of worship and you remember somebody that you have a grudge against, go to them, ask for forgiveness, make it right so that you can truly worship God. Then he says, 25 and 26, make the first move. If you see somebody even out on the street, in the grocery store, somewhere, and, and there's something between you, 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 make the first move because you're mine and I have made the first move. So then he says, talks about divorce, adultery, and he uses hyperbole. I'm so glad I got this passage because my family of origin loves to use hyperbole. People don't get hyperbole, but Jesus is using this when he's talking about lust, adultery, and anger. And this is what it is. 
The lust of the eyes, pluck out your right eye. If you're angry and you raise your hand, chop it off. This is hyperbole. Otherwise, we'd all be one-eyed and one-handed. <laughs> Jesus doesn't mean for you to actually do this, although in history, some people have. But, but don't do this. This is the seriousness of this issue. So he doesn't want us to lust. And this takes the lust of the eyes. It takes the hashtag me too to a deeper level. Because if, if you are even thinking it, you're guilty of it in God's eyes. All right. No empty promises. Don't promise something you won't do. Don't say, oh, I'll show up and help you and then not do it. Or don't say, I'll pray for you and then not do it. When people come to me and they kind of want to drive by prayer, they'll say, Robin, will you pray for me about something? I stop right then and I say, I listen and then I say, God, show yourself to them in this issue. And then, because I'm always afraid I'm going to forget later, so do it right then on the spot. You can't go wrong doing that. Okay, love your enemies, he says, in 38 through 47. This is where Jesus says to turn the other cheek, that very famous passage. And if someone sues you, give them more than they want. Because God is going to take care of you, not dealing with your enemy. He will take care of that. So when someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. Then you are working out your true self, your God-created self. And then he finishes up by saying, be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And you're all going, oh, I can't do this. But it, the word really means complete. Be complete. Your Heavenly Father's complete. I'm complete. We want to complete you as it is a complete and perfect in heaven. In the message, it says, in a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others, the way God lives towards you. We are not perfect. We are not complete. So Jesus died for our imperfections and gave us the Holy Spirit into our lives so that we can live graciously and expansively towards others. Now, my youngest granddaughter turned 16 in September, and she asked everyone in her family to write out 16 ways that we love her. <laughs> Isn't she smart? I want to say, I want 71 reasons why everybody loves me. <laughs> One, two, three. Okay. But anyway, so my husband and I had a great time making this up for her. And as I was studying this, these passages of scripture, all of a sudden, I heard 16 ways in this passage that Jesus loves her. So I wrote them out. 16 ways that Jesus loves you through this, pas through this passage. So on your table, everybody has a copy. And I would like you if, you, if if this is what you'd like to do, to go back to your rooms, your tables, wherever, 
and just read them aloud to each other. Now, of course, there's more than 16 ways that God loves you, but it's all here in this passage. So what I'm saying is this, that Jesus called you and me to be lights. We are the light of the world. So I would like you to sing this with me. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Okay, ladies, you're dismissed to your table. Thank you.